is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them, what they did, and why they had to be brave for us. Hey, if you, if you are active duty military or if you're retired, any branch, if you're retired or if you have a mama or a daddy or a, or a son or a daughter that is, would you stand up, please? Um, we just thank y'all. Stay standing and, and, and I want us to pray. Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much for, for the servant hearts of, of the men and women that... Uh, that have served active duty, that are serving right now, that are retired, um, that have served over the last few hundred years to keep all of us safe. Lord, it has kept our country free um, for years and years, and we thank you so much for these men and women. Lord, we lift them up to you. We lift their families up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we really, really thank you all. Um, you know, it's funny. People say, Happy Memorial Day. You know, and I'm like, it's a, it's a, it's a Memorial Day, and it is, a, and I had, uh, I had uh, a, a, a great great grandfather that died in the Civil War, and so I, I, I get that, and my dad served uh, in Korea, and so I get that whole idea, and most all of you do because most everybody has family that has served, uh, especially in a town like we are, and we are so thankful for y'all and your families. Now, this morning. Uh, we, we're, we're, last week we started kind of a, a detour from this study of Genesis that, that we began a few weeks ago. And we're going to continue down that road uh, today and then probably for another couple of weeks. <clears throat> and we're, gonna, we're looking at the church. And the, the, the title of this little mini-series is When God Builds His Church. And y'all, I love the church. I have a passion for the church. Not just church on the trail, but but for, for the church that was birthed at Pentecost, for Christ's church. And I, and I have a, a, a passion for fellow pastors that, and this burden that really does fall on pastors' shoulders to help at least play some sort of a role in shaping the church, uh, the local church, <clears throat> in, a, in a way that conforms to the, to the Word of God, that conforms to Scripture. And the way that it's laid out in the pages of our Bible. And his church was bought with, with precious blood. And we are all 
charged to take care of his church. And y'all, that's a big deal to take care of his church because that is what he left us. So in light of that, I think it is essential and it's important for us to understand some of the reasons that churches bear fruit. And I want to define for you what I mean by bear fruit because that's kind of a churchy uh, a little bit of a churchy word. And lots of people in the culture that we live in today, they use the word, <clears throat> they use words like prosper or thrive or succeed. And well, uh, okay, I get that to some extent, but I don't think that is, that's not really what I mean. And I don't believe that that's really what, what the scripture means. And I don't think that's what Jesus left us his church for. Uh, those words just don't really convey these thoughts. Now, they may be a component of this thought, of this bearing fruit thought, but the church, the church, me and you, we are called to bear fruit. The Apostle John, who is one of the uh, gospel writers, the Apostle John in chapter 15, and John uh, was the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, And he records one of Jesus' parables in chapter 15. And most of your Bibles have a little heading, and it probably says the true vine, or it says the vine and the branches, or the branches and the vine, or something like that. And there was a book years ago, John Wilkinson, I think was the guy's name, he wrote a book called The Secrets of the Vine, like a little coffee table book. And it was a a really, really good book. So John chapter 15, I want to to read you all the first five verses of John 15. And this is Jesus talking now. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he prunes it so it will bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and abide just really means um, remain in me. We don't really use this word abide today, but that's what it means. Remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples in a pretty serious context. And he's, it's, really, uh, it's really a word picture of the life of Christians. And if you fly up a little bit from a little higher level, it's really a word picture of, of the church. The Father owns the garden. The Father is the vine dresser. And Jesus is the vine. And His followers, the church, His followers are the branches. In our context here today, all of these branches make up the church because the church, the church, is made up of all of Christ's followers. Jesus says in verse 1, He says, I am the true vine. And these disciples that he's talking to, that he's given this parable to, they're all, really, they're all Jewish. And in their, in their world, their thought patterns and, uh, are all governed by the Old Testament because that's the only scripture that they had. And he's telling them, in this case, that the nation of Israel is not, it's not the vine. The nation of Israel is not the vine. He's telling them that their identification with their... Jewish religion or, or the Jewish nation is not the essential thing. He says, I'm the essential thing. He, 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 he uses this vine and branches thing. And he made it crystal clear, very clear to them that your identification with religion or with ceremony or with rules and regulations or with an organization, that, that that's not essential. 
We are to be identified with Christ. If we are His follower, we are to be identified with Christ. In this image, the, uh, the branches have got to be attached to the vine. They've got to abide in the vine. They've got to remain in the vine, verse 5 says. Why do we have to abide and remain in the vine? And it is so that we can bear fruit. That's why we have to abide in the vine. A branch that's detached from the vine can't bear fruit. In a grapevine, if the, if the branch is not attached to the vine, there ain't going to be any grapes. And so it's just like that for us. If the branch is attached and is abiding in the vine, it will bear fruit. If you are a Christian, you will bear fruit. Absolutely, a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. It can't happen. Now, you may bear just little bitty baby raisins or something at first. But as we grow, as we are in fellowship with each other, as we're learning the Word of God, that fruit should grow. But you cannot be a Christian and there be zero fruit. It, it's impossible for it to be that way. And he uses the, Jesus uses the words in me in these five verses. He uses it four times. In verse 2, he says, every branch in me. In verse 4, he says it twice, abide in me. And then in verse 5, he says, whoever abides in me. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means to be in Christ. What is, what is that abiding in Him and remaining in Him? And he says, in me. Well, what does that mean? It means to be in Christ is just simply to be saved. How do you get in Christ? How does, that, how does that work? Well, you believe the gospel. You believe in Him. You believe that He died on that cross and He bought you back from your sins. It's not complicated. You, you do that and you are born again. The Scripture says you are born, you have a rebirth and you're born again. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, you become a child of God through faith and then you begin abiding, remaining in the vine. All of us that are saved, 100% of us that are saved, we make up the church and we are all attached to Jesus, the true vine. Again, why are we attached to the vine? Why do we remain in Him? And it is so that we will all bear fruit. Fruit in those five verses mentioned five times. The whole point of that passage is wrapped around like fruit bearing. It's talking about that which is the result of salvation. Now don't get it backwards. The fruit is the result of salvation. The fruit doesn't cause the salvation. You can't bear fruit unless you're attached to the vine. That doesn't mean you can't do things that the world would call good. I'm not because you can. I'm not saying that. But fruit bearing requires being attached to that vine. So what he's talking about is that which is the result of salvation. Now, I don't believe that the fruit that he's talking about here is winning people to Christ. There are pastors, there are theologians, there are interpreters of the Scripture that do think that. I just don't think that in this context that that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about, I believe that he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Because it, and the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter uh, 5, verses 22 and 23, and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I believe leading people to the cross is a result of that fruit. Does that make sense? I don't think that winning people to Christ is the fruit that he's talking about in this. It's, it's the results of the salvation, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. So this image of a bunch of believers connected to the one true life-giving vine 
display in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all of those things, that's a perfect image, y'all, of what the church is supposed to look like. That's what the church, what His church looks like when He builds it His way. And so, flying it at at 35,000 feet, first and foremost, we do all have, uh, we, we all kind of got to recognize the basic biblical objective of any true church is to win people to Christ and then grow them, help them to grow and help them to mature. And there are a number of reasons, I believe, that a local church, a local church family uh, that is built God's way will, will and I'm going to use the word prosper, but when I say prosper, I mean bearing fruit that will result in accomplishing the objective of leading people to the cross. I think there's several reasons. That's what we're going to talk about today and next week. Today I want to, and we're going, I'm going to call them the marks of his church. You've got a little fill in the blank in your worship guide. The marks of his church. We're going to talk about three or four of them today, and then we're going to talk about a few more of them next week. And some of this is going to be a little redundant from last week, but it is atten- intentional. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into it today and in a little bit different way and we're headed somewhere with all of this so the first characteristic the first mark of his church is solid biblical preaching and teaching there was a pastor his name was was w.a criswell he was called to pastor first baptist church in dallas texas in 1944 and he was only the second pastor in that church's history he replaced a fellow named george truitt who was the first pastor, served from 1897 to 1944. And Criswell replaced him in 1944. And when Criswell replaced them, he told their board, he said, here's my plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in Genesis 1, and I'm going to preach through the Bible verse by verse. And that board said, you have lost your mind, dude. You are going to run everybody away. You're going to empty the church if you do that. Well, he did that, and he didn't empty the the, the church, uh, he didn't empty the church out. People didn't leave in droves. He was preaching the word of God. He was expositionally, is a, the term, he preached it verse by verse, starting in Genesis 1. And that church, and it took a little bit. It took a little bit for it to, for it to, for it to grow in the way that God wanted it to grow. But that church for a long time was the biggest church in the United States, had 15,000 people. And he was preaching the word of God verse by verse by verse, and all those people came because he taught them the word of God in a way that, 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 that brought life change and people's lives were changing as they responded to the Holy Spirit's working in their lives. I touched on this a little bit last week, uh, but Paul's words to Timothy, his spiritual son Timothy in Second Timothy in chapter 4, and the last books of Paul uh, that Paul wrote in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, 2nd Timothy being the last one of those three, Chapter 4 being the very, kind of the very last words of Paul's charge to Timothy in chapter 4 were this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. And this beginning part of 2 Timothy, it's, it's the language of taking an oath. It's almost like Paul has Timothy taking an, an oath. And so he says, I charge you to do what? To preach the word to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And he says, this is why I'm doing this. For the time is coming 
when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, people are going to go out and find people to teach them what they want to be taught, to teach them to tickle their ears is what Paul is telling Timothy. And what's going to happen? They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The proclamation of God's truth facilitates life change. Not half-truths, not 25% truths, but when the, when the Word of God, the, truth, the truths in the Scripture are preached, it facilitates life change. That's why dynamic churches, churches that are built God's way, are directed by a pulpit that teaches biblical truths and motivates Christians to apply those truths to their lives. Our commitment to y'all is to always do just that. I'm not an ear tickler. That's just so not my nature. I'd just rather get everything up on top of the table. I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm going to try to preach what this book says and, and the truths that are contained in it. And I want to tell you, or give you at least, two or three observations, I guess, that I have made on, on what and how, how preaching happens and, and how teaching happens and what some people kind of expect. You know, there are some people that, that, that believe that preaching should make people feel good. Motivational speeches, happy thoughts, positive, the power of positive thinking or self-help kind of stuff. I saw a Christian TV show one time and the preacher said, every day is just the happiest day of my life. He said, if you could only be as happy as I am. And he stuck Jesus in there, but he said every day is so happy. Well, here's the reality, man. That, ain't, that message is not going to go over super well with a man who's leaving the cemetery after burying his wife. Or with a mother who just found out from the daughter that her daughter has leukemia. Or with a father who's been trying and failing for ten years to... to, to to get his drug-addicted drug son to stop using. It's not, that message is just not going to go over very well. Every day is not just some, simply some happy day. But, but every single day can be totally fulfilling if there is an abiding joy in the presence of Christ. I said it last week, joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is bound by our circumstance and joy is when you are abiding remaining in the vine. If all we're supposed to do, me and you, is to come together once a week and tell each other how wonderful we are, I feel like that we're lying to each other. I'm just not an ear tickler. I mean, I'm, it's just not my nature. Sol because here's why. Really, I know. I know and I believe and I trust completely that solid biblical truths absolutely result in solidly grounded peace and joy. It does. It does. And then there's other folks that think that, that preaching is just supposed to help people solve their problems. We live in a, in a world that is kind of psychologically, psychologically obsessed with all kinds of clinical analysis and people have a tendency to, to overanalyze everything and that way of thinking has crept its way into the church and I don't know what you would call it, like maybe meme preaching. And that means the preacher maybe states a problem and then he gives you ten verses wildly out of the context on how to solve that problem with a few stories about some people that he saw on Facebook that used that to solve the problem. Y'all, a pastor's not a glorified psychoanalyst. 
It's not some genie in a bottle, not some Santa Claus that pats you on the head and tells you that everything is fine. The preacher's task in any church, the preacher's task is to educate Christians in the Word of God and how to appropriately apply that Word of God to their lives. It's also to to encourage folks to conform our lives to what the Word says it ought to be. And a lot of times, it's just the way it works, man. A lot of times, we got to feel worse before we can feel better. Sometimes we got to feel worse before we feel better. Healing precedes restoration. Healing always precedes restoration. The gospel, y'all, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the answer to all of life's problems. I heard Julio Hernandez say this Monday night. We're on the streets. He said, Jesus fixes everything. He does. He, the gospel is the answer to the problems. Not some super cool quote, and it may be some super cool quote, but that quote is not going to solve life's problems. Jesus is going to solve life's problems. And so the gospel has got to be presented really clearly and really often. Pacifying a problem doesn't make you feel better. You may think that it does in the, in the temporary, but it doesn't. Confession, repentance, saving faith in Christ, and the life change that comes out of that will produce true joy. And it will produce true joy 100% of the time because Jesus redeems broken things. So number one is solid biblical teaching. Number two, the second mark that we're going to talk through is serving church members. Serving church members. The ministry of the church, of the church that is built God's way, it extends to every single believer. It extends to every one of y'all. It extends to me. It extends to everybody that's up here on the worship team. Everybody using their gift to serve the body. Romans 12, chapter 12 and verse 4, and the couple of verses after that say this. For as in, this is Paul writing to the Romans, for as in one body, we had, he's talking about the church, one body, for as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We're not all the hand. We're not all the elbow. Somebody's got to be the hand. Somebody's got to be the foot. Somebody's got to be the leg. It doesn't work right. If I was just one big eyeball up here, it doesn't work right. There's got to be hands and feet and and, and, and arms and elbows and heads and all of that. We all ought to serve each other because that is what family does. There's an expression, uh, excuse me, there's, a, there's a, uh, an expectation that if you have a child, if you've got a kid in trail tots or in trail kids, that you ought to be serving once a month or so. You just should. It just makes sense that that is what we do. And I have watched it like over and over and over. Wherever somebody serves, whether it's in parking or, or at the connections desk or if it's outside this church in the streets or if it's serving a, a family that has a kid that is, uh, that is in danger of being put into foster care, whatever it is, I've seen what God does to people's hearts when we serve. We are wired up to serve each other. And so we ought to be serving each other in this building, and then we ought to be serving outside on the other side of the doors of this building. I want, look, I want you to watch this video. It's about 60 or 70 seconds long. Y'all watch this.
My name is Jay. Come with me on a journey to Nairobi, Kenya. I want to show you my life. I live in the Madare slum in Nairobi, Kenya. It's remarkable. Having been in Africa, this feels so authentic. You see everything from the food they eat to the clothes they wear. It looks like you're there. This is my new home. It is a prison. He got thrown in jail and he was nine years old. He was just a kid. My son is ten. So we can identify. Wow. If my son was there, what, what would I feel? What would I do? And then imagine what his mom was feeling. You walk out of that prison almost out of hope. And then you walk into hope. This is my compassion center. Compassion is helping me pay for school, medicine, and healthcare. Yeah, and everyone started cheering for him. It made me so happy. Yeah. We all like looked at each other like pause yeah. and we're like, yay! It doesn't only show you reality, it shows you how you can change reality. Yeah. I can actually do something. I can actually make a difference. The first time I heard the words, I love you, was from my sponsor. I got to hear that God loved me. They introduced me to Jesus. I want to show you my life. Come with me to Nairobi. So here's what that is. Um, I'll tell you a little bit of a quick kind of history of what, ha what has happened and what is happening, and, and that is this. Six or seven or eight weeks ago, Compassion, if you know who Compassion International, it's an organization that serves and, and attempts to get people in this country to sponsor a child. And it could be in Africa, it could be in, in South America somewhere, it could be in Russia, it could be wherever it is. But that's what Compassion International does, a great organization. So they called me about eight weeks ago or so, and the only two cities, bigger cities in Georgia, Columbus and Savannah, are the only two cities that they don't have a partner in the state of Georgia, and they wanted us to be their partner in Columbus, which was actually very cool. And so we sat down and we, we met uh, with their, I don't know if you would call them a rep, but it's somebody from Compassion uh, who lives in Birmingham. So, so we met, and he, he, he pitched this idea, and I thought it was a great idea. It's called the Compassion mobile experience. Number one, we are their partner now in Columbus. And this Compassion mobile experience you saw in that video, this truck, it's an 18-wheeler. They have three of them around the country. So they're going to be here June 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And they're going to be open eight hours a day. And in that eight hours, people, they set up like kind of attached to the truck and to the side of it a 50 by 90 tent. And people will walk through that and that what they will experience, they got headphones on and so forth, they'll experience a day in the life of a compassion child. There'll be two different experiences that they open up when they, uh, when they build everything. We, as a church, have to provide 60 volunteers for them for those four days. Well, really, 10 volunteers the day before to help set up and then 10 to tear down. But total, 60 volunteers. We need to all step up to the plate and volunteer, and you can go to CompassionExperience.com, and you can sign up there to volunteer. Compassion will spend about 2500 bucks doing, uh, doing social media targeted marketing for our area. They feel like they can drive two to 3,000 people to come here and go through that experience. We want to sponsor, at the end of the day, we want our church family to sponsor 75 kids. And... I'm just being honest. My passion, global missions-wise, is Africa. And so we are going to be sponsoring. He went, the guy went and found us a village in Rwanda that needs 75 children sponsored. And so that is going to be our village, the Church on the Trail village. The trail is headed 
to Rwanda in 2020 because all of this is in preparation for us as a church to go on a mission trip to that village in 2020 with Compassion International and then to do it again in 2021. And they said after 2021, you probably won't need us anymore. Y'all can just go to that village on your own. So this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And we need to step up and we need to volunteer. And you'll have some invite cards uh, next week that you can invite people with. And y'all share stuff on Facebook. We already put the event up. And you can share that video. And then that guy, Jay, that was in the video at the beginning, he's going to be here. He lives in Atlanta, actually, now. He's an IT guy at a church. Um, and he's going to be here on that Sunday to speak. So it's, it is going to be a very cool big weekend for us as a church family to be the hands and feet of Christ. So, number one, solid biblical teaching. Number two is serving in this building and on the other side of those doors. And number three is this, that Christ's church displays and shows concern for people. This kind of goes along with that second point as well. I was in a church one time, in a church now, in a church building, and I heard this old school preacher screaming about when he was a boy, people went to church. When I was a boy, people went to church. We went to church. We went to church. And he's screaming about, people need to go back to church. People in this country need to go back to church. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, you're screaming at the people that are in church. I mean, like you're screaming at the wrong, like you're hollering at the wrong people, seemed like. But what he really was doing that I thought was wrong is he wasn't telling them what to do when they got there. He wasn't telling us what, he, what, what we're supposed to do. He's just screaming at the very people that are already there that they should be there. And so he needed to tell us what we were there for. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 5. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another. And that language is like to get everybody revved up. That's, that, that's what that, that, that Greek term to stir up means. It's to get everybody fired up and stirred up for, for what? He says to stir up one another for what? To love and good works. We should rev each other up to love and to do good works. Not neglecting meeting together. We need to meet together, he says, as is the habit of some, because some of them stop meeting together. But we should encourage each other when we're there. So we stir each other up in love. We get each other revved up to go out into a lost world and do good works. And then we encourage each other. We can't just attend church just to listen. We need to be encouraging each other to do positive things for the Lord. We need to be looking for ways to love on each other and to serve each other and to show concern for each other. And y'all, if we, Jesus is the perfect model of this. If we look at his life, we see a guy who just dove in to the lives of individuals. Dove in. Got involved in the lives of individuals. He brought joy to a wedding. He hung out with drunks that needed help. So much so that people started thinking and calling him a drunk too. He met with the, quote, weak people. He hung out with the people that the, that the society said were the unimportant people. He hung out with the people that society said was the sinners. He met with perverse and hostile people, hung out with them, and he always did it in a friendly and in a welcoming and in a, in a sort of an, uh, uh, a loving way. Mark chapter 5. When Jesus showed up in the country of the Gerasenes, which is an area near the Sea of Galilee, he met a crazy man screaming and yelling. In verse 7 of Mark chapter 5, 
He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And this dude was demon-possessed, y'all. The text says in verses 3 and 4, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched those chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, text says. It ain't no doubt that people avoided this guy. You ever avoid people? Some people are crazy. Some people are, are dirty. Some people smell bad. Some people are raging sinners. Some have addictions. And some people just ain't very nice. Do you avoid them? Do you kind of turn and walk the other way? Do, do you do that or have you ever done that? So the people, they did avoid this guy. But Jesus didn't. Jesus took care of him. And after Jesus cast the demons out, the villagers found this man, the text says in, in verse 15, they found him clothed and in his right mind. Jesus had jumped in this guy's life. He didn't avoid him. He didn't look the other way. He cared and he got involved in the guy's life and that man's life was transformed completely. Don't you know that when you are attached to the vine, he changes everything. He changes the way you look and act and talk and, and speak and he changes the the way that you look at the world, and that's what happened to this demon-possessed guy because Jesus didn't turn the other way. He jumped into the guy's life. Me and you, the church, we are, since the cross, since Pentecost, we are the visible, tangible manifestation of Christ in our world. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his body. We are his eyes. We are, we are him in the middle of a lost and dying world. So months ago, a couple months ago, Susan and her prayer mama's group had their yearly retreat where they all got together for two or three or four days. One of the women, Barbara, her name is Barbara, one of the girls that goes with them, she couldn't go. But the first night they were there, she sent them a text message. And I want to read this text message. I'm going to have it up on the screen with even with all the little emojis. I just copied it and pasted it. And yeah, there it is. I want to read this to you. She said, I had that this is Barbara sending this text message to, to about how many? About six Ladies, okay. It says, I had the privilege of crossing paths with a precious lady through my job at The Truth. She called, The Truth FM is what that is. She called to ask about a free concert that was months, six months ago, and we still keep in touch. She proceeded to tell me that she is an addict that has been clean for a little over a year. Her husband and two of her children are addicts too. They have three grown kiddos. Our phone conversation that day back in October began with a free concert question and ended in prayer and tears, a divine appointment for sure. She proceeded to tell me she now attends a small church, maybe called Beaver Creek, not certain in my mind, but about three or so years back she recalled that she, her husband, and at least two or three of their children were still whacked out in her words as she, stand, as she stated, homeless and doing drugs, when they went into this incredible church. They didn't stay members because they felt as though they didn't quite fit in. She didn't say it rudely, just matter of fact, and even backed it up with the Lord has put us where we need to be. But totally pivotal in their journey to know the Lord, to get clean and still be singing His praises today, this church opened their doors on a freezing weekend, maybe even a weeknight too, couldn't remember, and if offered them a warm place to sleep, something they didn't ever have. They were true followers of Jesus and what set my family in the right direction. Tears, prayers, and sweet conversations that day. I, finally, I happened to finally ask, what church? She laughed and said, my church, Miss Barbara. Not like my church is in my church that I go to now, but that's the official name, my church. She and her husband 
uh, have, and, and, and for those of y'all that are new, our name used to be my church, so this happened when we were my church. So it says, she and her husband have been clean for over 18 months, and their oldest son is in rehab in Nashville. If he stays in the program and all goes well, June of this year will be the first time in 20 years that her entire family will be clean. And I tell you all this to pray for her and for her fam. And to I've never said fam before, but I'm telling you what the text said. And to also encourage all of us, she says, his economy is so rich. We are just called to follow the Holy Spirit's lead, and wow. Thank you for being such blessings in my life, in the lives of your families, and in our communities. I love you all so dearly. Please dance and sing for me. Hands and feet of Christ. Hands and feet. Y'all, that is what we are. The hands and the feet of Christ. Last fall, Julio Hernandez and me and Susan were at the Steak and Shake. And I've got a picture of this kid up on the screen. We're at the Steak and Shake, about 10.30 on a Monday night. And I noticed Julio looking over my shoulder at this kid, and it was this kid. Uh, he looked 17 or 18 years old. And he had a Target bag, and I think the Target bag had some clothes in it, and he had a backpack on, and he was sitting there. And guess what he ordered at the Steak and Shake? He ordered a glass of water, because that's all he... And you just could kind of tell that, that this kid was probably homeless, and he didn't have any money. He looked uh, a little grimy, uh, and he looked hungry, and so Julio... Uh, asked him if he was hungry. He asked him what his name was. His name was Isaac. And, uh, and so we ordered him a little food. We got him some food. And this kid starts, we just kind of strike up a conversation with him. And we're talking to him. And he tells us that he was from somewhere around Atlanta. I can't remember where. But he had gotten kicked out of the house. He has had serious addiction problem. He had just gotten out of rehab. And when, when, you, when you leave one of those places, they ask you where you want to go. And they dropped him off, oddly enough, in Columbus. And so he was just recently out of rehab, he was, he was addicted, and, and he was homeless, and he needed a place to live. He needed a place to go, and so me and Julio, uh, uh, we took him downtown. He wanted to go to Granite Field, Illinois, where his brother lived, and so we said we'd put him up in a hotel, and so we take him downtown. We're trying to call his brother. His brother said no. It's a long story, but we put him up in this hotel, and then Julio was going to go down there the next day. I was going to get a bus ticket, and Julio was going to go pick the, the, the kid up, but when, uh, when he went to pick him up, the lady at the counter at the hotel said that during the night he had called 911 because he w- had feelings of and tried to hurt himself, and so they, they put him in, they take the ambulance comes and get him, the police come and get him, they put him in, in the hospital, and, he's, and it's called a 1013, it's 72-hour mandatory stay at the hospital, and they end up transferring him up to a facility in Atlanta because there wasn't a bed available in Columbus, but in the, in the meantime, I called, when he goes up there to that facility in Atlanta, I called Aaron Gray, some of you know Aaron Gray, um, Aaron was part of the, our church family, he now lives in Alabama, I still feel like Aaron's part of our church family, but he works for Teen Challenge. And his mom and dad and sister are still, I don't know if they're here right now or not. I think they come to second service. But they're still part of our church family. And so I called Aaron. Aaron gets the kid in Teen Challenge. The kid gets out of the facility in Atlanta, and we, we have got in our mind, this kid's going into Teen Challenge. Well, he decided not to. He decided to hop a bus and go to Colorado. Why do you reckon he went to Colorado? You think it may have something to do with weed is legal in Colorado? I'm thinking that's why he went to Colorado. And that's about last we heard of him. This was maybe October, November until a couple of weeks ago. Isaac calls me on the phone a couple of weeks ago. He said he's back in Georgia, in Ackworth, Georgia. And he, he just called and he said, I've been clean for 104 days. He said, I got a job at the Cracker Barrel. He's a waiter at the Cracker Barrel. And I actually 
looked him up on Facebook, and it says he works at the Cracker Barrel. And he's sharing an apartment with three other people. So he's got a roof over his head, he's got a J-O-B, and he says he's been clean for 104 days. He said it's a battle every day. But he said, I've been clean 104 days. He didn't call asking for money. He didn't call asking for a car. He just called. He said, I just want you all to know that I'm okay. The hands and the feet. I mean, that's what we are supposed to do. Tuesday night, we had another opportunity. Tuesday night, and you'll see up on the screen, Dan and Nancy Brim. This is another opportunity for the church to be the church, to lock arms and to have concern for people. That's Dan and Nancy Brim. Um, And if you don't know, Dan is very, very sick. And about 12 or 14 people went over to their house uh, Tuesday night just to encourage them, just to hang out with them, just to talk. And, And it was such, it sounds so weird to say it was a sweet time, but it was a super sweet time. It was like an unbelievably sweet time. Nancy told us Dan's life story, y'all. Dan's a big dude. Dan was born premature. Parents told he wouldn't live five days. Well, he lived more than five days. Then he was told he wouldn't live past his sixth birthday. Live past his sixth birthday. She told us his whole life story. We learned that, uh, that, um, that he did 13 mission trips to Russia. Who does mission trips to Russia? But he's 13 times he'd been to Russia. She let us know and he let us know that he baptized people in a Siberian river that was so frozen they had to bust through the ice to get people down in the water. Thirteen times Dan, Dan has done that. We learned that Dan could sing, which cracked me up. But Dan could sing. You know, we learned all these things and we laid hands on Dan and Nancy. And we just prayed with them. Y'all, what, what you had really in, in all of these three very different things, you had branches that are attached to the vine being the vine's hands and feet 2,000 years later after the cross. We have got to stay connected to Jesus. We've got to stay connected through the vine to each other. And y'all look, very soon in June, we're going to start a Wednesday night, uh, once a month Wednesday night, just prayer time. Just coming up here and just doing a, having a prayer time. Not some big ordeal, not having a full worship team, just coming up and praying together. We've got a vibrant men's ministry that has been started, and it's, it's, it's godly men just locking arms and getting together. In the fall, you're going to have Bloom, a women's ministry that is kicking off, kind of a mentoring women's ministry. You've got a young adults growth group starting in a couple of weeks when we start growth groups for the summer. A young adults growth group that is leading into a young adults ministry that will start in the fall. All of that is the branches being connected to each other through Christ. I'll give you one more thing, and this is another change. This is another change that we're making uh, for the summer. In the interest of connectedness, in the interest of us being together. Y'all, Susan and I, for for the first five years of being in this church, we came to the 11 o'clock service. I don't know that we knew anybody that was in the 930 service. People in the 930 service have no idea who's in the 11 o'clock service. I think in the interest of our connectedness to the vine... For the summer, we're going to go to one service. Everybody I've talked to thought it was a a tremendously good idea. All of us being together and worshiping together and being connected together during the summertime. You will meet people that you had no idea even came to this church, both 9.30 and 11 o'clock. The energy is so much better when there's 
250 people in here together. And so we're going to do that for the summer. So, the first three marks of a true church, solid biblical preaching, solid biblical teaching, serving each other in this building and serving each other uh, or serving on the other side of those doors. And then lastly, and kind of linked to that, is the concern for others. If we're the branches and we're connected to the vine, we will be his hands and we will be his feet in a lost and dying world. They will know us by our, by our love, he says. They will know us by our love. So again, how do you become attached to the vine? How do you become in Christ? Y'all, it's not difficult at all. It is, I repent, I confess, I repent, I believe that that death on that cross was for me and my sins. I believe that. I believe that with everything inside of me, and I'm saved. And then I'm attached to that vine, and then fruit bearing begins. So if that happened to you today, let us know that. If you said yes to that offer, and you said, you know what, I do believe that, grab one of those connection cards and just jot that down. Just jot it down and stick it in that offering bucket. And, and if you want to pray with somebody, or if you want somebody to pray with or for you, prayer team is back there in the back. Every worship service back there in the back. Every worship service starting last week, people in here praying for what's going on out here. Y'all pray with me.